You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. invite you in your scriptures to turn to the book of Colossians. We were there last week. We're just going a little further. Um, we will look at our constitution here. But just as you turn to the book of Colossians um, chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 8 through 15. I'll explain more later. If kinda, you'll see it why we're there. Before we get there, let's just show our picture from last week. I had two, but one from... From Lincoln wrote this. Lincoln, I'm going to read this because it's kind of it's blurry again. I'm sorry, but I'll read it to you here. Here's what Lincoln said. I thought this is pretty pretty good here. So I take poems, I take pictures, however they however they come. I don't know if this is a poem story. He says, I was born a slave. I was born a slave on solid ground. It's time to look up to the Lord and go out of maybe my Egypt. I don't know. Go out of Egypt. And go to the Lord. I was born a slave and I want to be with the Lord. I do not want to be a slave anymore. Because I was born a slave, I was, I was saved. Lincoln Lunning. Lincoln, thanks for writing that for us. That's how all of us are without Christ. Slaves to our sin. Unless God breaks in and breaks us free. And that's part of what we're talking about today. So thank you for doing that. Thank you guys for showing that. Let's look then into the Word of God. There's some lights so we can read it. Great, thank you. We're in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2, and I'll just read through verse 15. Here's God's Word. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Let me pray again with you. Lord, again, we just come before You and ask Your blessing as we look into Your Word here. Lord, as we look towards this Constitution and what it means for us as a church. Father, we just pray that Your presence is here with us and we ask that Your Spirit guide us, direct us to worship You more so, to have greater faith in You, trusting You. Lord, to identify with You 
in baptism and the Lord's Supper as we look at that today. Uh, but Father, we just look to You for guidance. Guide my words during this time that they would fade, that You, Lord, would be exalted and increased in what is shared here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder when is the last time you encouraged someone based on their baptism? When's the last time you went up to somebody and encouraged them based on their baptism? Or maybe even thought of your own baptism as an encouragement to your own spiritual life? Um, I don't think we think about this very often, but I hope today we come away encouraged again in the ordinances that God has given to His church. They're that they're just not part of tradition or something we do. Because we're a church, we just naturally do these things. But that they're part of God's provision for us as we walk with Him. Uh, If you're visiting, or perhaps you're not, or you've been gone a week or two, we're in this series uh, just going through a proposed constitution for our church that we're going to be voting on in January. Um, and I hope as we go through this, and if you're missing yours today, if it got misplaced, there's more in the back when we're finished, or you can, you can head back there and get one if you want one to follow along with. But really hope as we go through this study, it's not just looking through the words and trying to explain them, but it, that it, it is part of our growth as the body of Christ, again, that we grow. Uh, and grow really together, that's the kind of the title of this whole series, together for the glory of God, that that's the the goal and the desire that we use this constitution, we use our statement of faith as as tools of being built up, tools to grow in Christ and to be built up in Him. So our first week together, we looked at the question, and uh, I didn't plan this, but kind of these questions have gone out. You know, the question: Why do we exist? Why do we exist as a church? We looked at First Peter two nine through ten that that those elect of God are a chosen race, the royal priesthood. Um, a holy nation that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into light. Talked about kind of our purpose statement that we exist as a church to delight in God, to worship Him, to praise Him, find our joy in Him. That we exist to display His glory to one another, to the world, and to declare His glory. And that we'd be equipped to spread that joy to others. So, so that God is to be the center of what we're doing as a church. His glory alone is why we exist. Last week, then we moved on. Why do we exist? We moved on to uh, the question, what do we believe? And we looked at first, we believe the Bible to be God's inerrant or unerring word to us and stemming from that then we summarized what we believe the bible teaches in our statement of faith as we read that at the end looking at our statement of faith and it's in the back of your constitution there as kind of these this guardrail of our doctrine of what we believe serving like a road map of where we're going in terms of what we believe about god and salvation hopefully as we read through that statement of faith we again hear the salvation story of of the bible where Where do we find out about the gospel? It's in God's word and the scriptures that tell us then who God is and his son and the Holy Spirit and how man, sinful man, is to be saved. And so we looked at that. And hopefully in looking through that, it's not just a document or words, though it's not inspired, but 
a document to lead us really where all doctrine ought to lead us back to big words doxology, but to praise, to worship of our God as we're reminded of those things. And so this week we're looking at Article 4 here, the ordinances. And these ordinances that God is using in His church to remind us, I think, and to answer that question of who are we? I think these help in answering that question of identity. Who are we? So let me just read Article 4 to you from... We're on page 4 in the Constitution. And then we'll get back into our text here. It says this, that the ordinances of the church are believers' baptism by immersion and the Lord's Supper. Neither of these ordinances have any power to save anyone, nor is righteousness imputed to the recipient of the waters of baptism or the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper. And it goes on, delineating here, baptism. Baptism ordained by Jesus Christ is a sign of fellowship with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. Only those who profess repentance towards God Faith in and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ are candidates for baptism. That's one of them. And then the second, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted by the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed and is to be observed by His church as a proclamation of His death until He comes. All who are believers in the Lord Jesus and are in good standing of a church which holds to the essential doctrines of biblical Christianity are welcome to participate in this supper. So let me ask first, do you understand the word ordinance? That's a big word. I always like definitions. This is not the word ordinance like in military weaponry use. That's, I learned that this week. It's without an I, ordinance. You all maybe knew that, but it's not where it is. It's ordinance with an I, these ordinances. Here's what the old Webster's, 1828, the one I, that's my go-to. Uh, here's how it defines an ordinance. Now, there's a couple different ways, but here's one. Uh, a rule established by authority, a permanent rule of action. Uh, an ordinance may be a law or a statute of sovereign power. And now here's another definition they, they offer. It's an established rite or ceremony. Even in our own statement here in this Constitution, uh, it reads that baptism is, well, I think where we get this word, is ordained by Jesus Christ. And so in other words, Jesus, He has directed and prescribed this action of baptism as well as the Lord's Supper. So we're going to look at these Look at more closely at baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that today a little bit. And why they are to be an essential part of who we are as a church. And so we're going to be doing this from Colossians 2, 8 through 15. And let me just say, uh, I don't think Paul's main point is to give uh, a whole teaching on baptism. It comes up in here and we're going to look at that uh, you know, it's not a, necessarily a teaching just centered on baptism. It's, it's more on who I think we are in Christ, our identity, or the Lord's Supper. But we're going to see evidence, a relation of baptism, even the Lord's Supper as we get into the latter part of this section. And I think it's going to take us then back to, to end with, with the table celebrating the bread and the cup uh, today. So let's first look into this text and just look through it a little bit. Uh, I start in verse 8 again. Paul says, to the church at Colossus, he says, 
uh, Colossae, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The influence on this church that he's writing to is from those who had they had philosophy, they had human tradition, but it would appear from this verse it was not according to Christ. Back even in this chapter in verse 3, Paul has said, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I think Paul's argument here, it's really is to center and identify your life with Christ rather than with man. So verse 8, he's telling them, don't be held captive by human tradition not based on Christ. In, in other words, when we're tempted or we are tempted to look at the answers of men for our life identity, we look at who, who are we and maybe modern psychology helps to answer or maybe there's other even man-devised ways of coping with life such as have better self-esteem or you know the popular one for me growing up in school, right? just believe in yourself, you can do anything. Kind of this, you're a, you're a human, believe in it, you can do. And again, I'm not saying we ought to not be positive, encouraging towards one another. But again, seeking to find our identity in the world, in ourselves, apart from Christ, it's missing who He is. And according here, according to God's Word, Christ is the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is to be our life. We're not to look inward. Somebody's called it uh, navel gazing. We're not to do that and look inside us. I can do this. I am this person. But we're to look at Christ who's our treasure. Not man's ways. It can be helpful, but not man's ways. And so then... We might ask why, and that's where verse 9 comes in to answer. Why should we look at Christ? And here's the glaring answer. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Christ, God dwells fully. We, we cannot say God is far away from us. It may feel that way sometimes in trials. No, He has come near. He's come near in His Son, in Christ Competing identities is the heading for this, uh, this little bullet point of these two verses, 8 through 9. We have competing identities. Who I am, who the world says I am, who I want to be. And then there's my identity in Christ. Christ is ultimate. He's not to be an add-on to our faith, but He's to be the object of our faith. And so as Paul goes on from verse 9, then these truths they just get more and more and more wonderful as Paul continues on here. And so the rest of this passage, I think it's really one of identity remembrance. Remembering your identity. If you've listened to Paul trip very long, if, and I encourage you, if you've not come, please join us for Sunday school. It's a great study on faith. Do that at 9.30. But if you listen to him some, he's talking about identity and our identity in Christ. And right here, I think, as Paul moves into this, we've got identity for the believer. Remembering who you are. Really, believer, remember who you are in Christ. Remember what you have in Christ. And so verse 10 says, And you have been filled in Him. 
These are just beyond, I think, what we understand. So in Christ, God dwells bodily, and we are filled in Him. We're filled in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. I mean, even in that one verse, there's treasure there. And I, I just feel like we fail, or I fail to just grasp how great is salvation we have in Christ. Now, that's what Paul is saying here in verse 10. You are in Christ. The word for being filled here, it can be defined, you know, always different ways. But one way is uh, the word, maybe you have filled, maybe you have complete. But here's one definition to provide for by supplying a complete amount or in other words, to make complete. And the Greek word here that you have been filled, it could even say you have been and you continue to be. So it's not just you've been filled and maybe it's leaking. Uh, you've been filled and you continue to be in him. It's it's a, a past action with present results is the technical way to say that. And so we have this in Christ. You've been filled, you continue to be filled. And so on to verse 11, it says in him and in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Notice here, this is a circumcision made without hands. Which is to say, man did not do this. This is God's work. God is at work. And whatever this circumcision means, it's not made with hands of men. In the Old Testament, circumcision was really a sign to the people of God. It was a sign of His covenant with them, his promise first given to Abraham. It's an outward symbol to them of God's promises. But then in Romans, same writer here, Paul's writing Colossians, Paul wrote Romans. He describes circumcision this way. You don't have to look there. You could write it down. It's Romans 2, 28 through 29. And here's how Paul describes circumcision. It says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So in this sense, then, it's, it's circumcision not by the hands of man. And Paul in Colossians, then, he, he goes on to describe this, this inward heart circumcision and the word he uses is the word that we're looking at in our constitution baptism good verse 12 kind of starts there after the comma so he's talking about circumcision of christ verse 12 just leads right into having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of god that possibly could be translated through the working faith the energetic faith of, of God, working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Paul here ties circumcision into baptism. Circumcision made without hands. So it's again, it's not physical, but it's of the heart. And so to baptism. So being in Christ is being buried with Him spiritually and being raised with Him spiritually. 
later on in chapter three, Paul's going to say, he's going to say, for you, you believer, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here we see baptism referred to in the context of a, a spiritual reality. I think this is this is really important to understand it, because first, baptism is a matter of the the heart by the spirit before it is an outward physical symbol that we think of with with water, that sort of thing. Which we might ask then, well, what about the physical baptism? So there's a spiritual, there's something, there's circumcision having been buried. There's a circumcision of buried with Christ or raised with him in baptism. What about the physical Didn't they use water? Wasn't real water used? Absolutely it was. The physical thing that happened. The book of Acts, we see people being baptized with real water. For the early church, this baptism, it was just part of the conversion narrative. Peter in Acts chapter 2 says, repent and be baptized. It's important though that we see baptism in water does not precede or come before repentance. doesn't come before, but always it follows that repentance and faith. Throughout Acts, people, they hear the good news and almost the immediate response is one of baptism. The outward symbol reflecting the inward heart change from sinner to saint, from dead to sin, raised to to life, alive to God in Christ Jesus. We might say, identified with Christ. As He died and was raised, so we die and are raised in Christ, in whom the fullness of God dwells and so forth. The challenge for us, I think, in 2017 and in church and our church life, including myself, we tend to think of baptism as a, as a two-stage process. You know, there's, there's one's converted in Christ and then after a long while they're They're baptized. I'm convicted it's probably not the most helpful, although we want to understand, do they they understand the gospel? And we've got that in the concept. Do they understand what it means to repent and trust Christ and that sort of thing? But, you know, as you read in through Acts, it just doesn't look like there's always a lot of separation between the two. I think the New Testament bears witness that, that water baptism, it's just simply... The norm. It's just what's done after conversion. And we, we tend to, maybe you're not like me, but just tend to separate those two out. So really, water, baptize, water baptism, it's an identity reminder of, of who we are in Christ. Our death to self, the dying of the old man, the new life in Christ. It's a work of God. And so the water baptism symbolizes that. It not only declares in a public way our inward reality to follow Christ, but it, it even acts as a means by which we're encouraged in our faith. So that we have been baptized, we can look back, even with one another, we can look at one another and say, I remember seeing you baptized. I remember that day. Uh, why are you involved in that sin? I remember you were baptized. I saw you go under and, and up. You, you identified with Christ. I remember that. Or maybe even personally, we're involved in some sort of sin or we're wondering, man, where am I at with the Lord today? We can look back at the physical symbol, okay? Not as, not as when we were saved, but as a, as a reminder. It's a s- symbolic way to say, man, I was, 
that's what I was. That's who I am. And be encouraged in our faith that I died to sin. I'm, I'm alive with Christ now. And to remember that. So the water in itself, the symbolic baptism going, and here we practice immersion baptism, all the way in, dead to sin, alive in Christ. We say very clearly that does not save, but it does act as an identifying of us. Um, I carry around my cell phone in my pocket. I used to have a nice holder and then those always rip when you get out of the car too fast or something like that. It's gone. So I've been carrying this thing around in my pocket for months and uh, it's got this black coating on it. But what's interesting is as I carry it in my pocket, it's rubbing off and there's this red, I don't know, base to this cell phone case, uh, which makes me think that the red is the original. I don't have, carry red things in my pocket. So, so that what's, what this case originally looked like was, was red. But what they have to do to make it? Well, it, it's some sort of paint. It must, it's pretty good because it's taken a while to wear off. But they probably, we could say, they baptized this thing. They immersed it in a black and it came, came up that color. It was red and now we identify it as black. It was, in a sense, to help us understand, it's identified as this color. Uh, it's been baptized in a sense. Think of a, a shoe company. If you think of a shoe and you see a swoosh on the side of the shoe, it identifies it as a certain brand, right? Most of us, from that swoosh, we know, oh, it's that kind of shoe, and we'll pay more money for that, right? Some of us will. Um, or think of a, a cup. You've you got a soft drink in your hand. It's got a big yellow uh, M on the side of it. It's, I think they call it branding identity, right? We know from that from that image, we know where that thing uh, came from or where that shoe, well, we don't know all where it was made, but we know its identity. I think in the same way, water baptism is an identity uh, that shows, it's a symbol to say, I identify, my swoosh, my am, is really identify with Christ. And that's who I am. No longer in the past, I'm no longer that old man, but I'm new. We still struggle in this life? Yes. We go back and forth and we struggle and yet God's spirit and power is at work in us through that. And so I think that that picture of identity is behind uh, the outward symbol of the inward spiritual heart change that's gone on. So that baptism and again, immersion in water seems to be the most the best meaning of that word to baptize, to immerse, to go under and back up, and especially from Colossians here. And it's God's gracious gift to us, reminding us. And through it, as we recall, empowering us to say, that that's who I am. I look back on that. I was in the water and I'm alive. God did that and I remember who I am. Again, the water is not our salvation. Christ is. And it's all through the powerful working of God. Our Constitution says that it's a, it's a sign, signpost of our fellowship with Christ. And so in that sense, it's something we ought to treasure. And as we apply this to our hearts, something that we ought to obey the Lord and do in obedience. So two quick applications for us. One, if you have not been baptized, let me encourage you to take that step 
of obedience. If you've put your trust in Christ to save you from sin, then be baptized. Be outwardly identified with your Savior. Don't wait longer on doing this. Don't say, in 10 years, I think I'll get to this point. I know it's tempting, but we want to we wanna follow through so that it can be the encouragement to our lives and us as a congregation. I know each of us, we've maybe been baptized in other churches so we didn't see one another. What a great conversation to have. Hey, tell me about your baptism. Oh, it's just, it's good to hear about. Good for us, would be good for us to learn about. Now I realize today in the time that we have, we have not even touched on the aspect of baptizing infants. This has not been a a treaty on that whole aspect and uh, process. Let me just say this real briefly. I think based on the symbology, what, what the symbol of water baptism is, it is to follow and not go before one's profession of faith in Christ. Um, I do not believe Scripture gives us any direction to baptize infants who, again, from our perspective, we don't limit God, but they've not professed faith in Christ. So water baptism, it's to follow faith. It's not to precede or go before it. Again, I'm just touching on this briefly. It's just an area for you or something you've grown up with and want to think about more. Uh, my door's open or you can talk up here after church as well. Let me encourage you, if you've not been baptized as a follower of Christ, take that step of obedience. Talk to me. Let's do that. The second application is for those of you trusting in Christ, you have been baptized. Maybe it was when you were young. Uh, in the faith. Maybe it was, I was, I think, a senior in high school. I don't remember a lot, but I remember, remember that moment. Let me encourage you, remember it. Think back. Tell your kids about it. Um, ask others, again, that God might use this gift of baptism to encourage us. Wait, when did you identify with Christ? Hey, keep going in that. And let it encourage us. Let the physical be a reminder of your spiritual position in Christ. Okay, we don't look back on that water and say, okay, yeah, those waters wash me. No, the Holy Spirit, by the washing and renewal in Titus 3, He's doing the washing through our faith as we see in Colossians here, buried with Christ, identified we're in Christ. But remember back of the symbol. Oh yeah, I remember that. I declared that at that point in my life. Well, we look on to where we stopped in verse 12 and we look on through verse verses 13 through 15. We want to think also on this day, we think about baptism and these really they tie together as the these symbols and reminders. We need these symbols in our lives to remember. Uh, Lord's Supper as we'll partake in that. Not necessarily mentioned here, doesn't expressly address in Colossians right here the, the Lord's Supper, but it certainly addresses what the Lord's Supper is about. And so as we remember who we are in Christ, remember that baptism identified with Christ, so too in the Lord's Supper, we remember what He's done for us in the cross. So listen to verses 13 through 15. And you... Again, this kind of ties in back to even what Paul's been saying already, obviously. Verse 13, And you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, communion or the Lord's Supper was instituted the night of Jesus' betrayal. And it even looks back even to the, the Passover and the lamb and the blood of the lamb. But it points not to the bread itself, only physically or to the cup physically. It points really, as Paul is saying here, points to the cross, the nailing of the cross, the, the body nailed to the cross, the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians, proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. And so it's God's gracious gift. It's a meal to remember and be encouraged in our faith. So in this way then, both baptism in identifying us with Christ. Who are you? I'm a believer in Christ. I'm new in Christ. And communion, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the building up of the body of the church. It's His church. Communion, we say we're remembering what He has done. We're taking time to remember the atoning, the substitutionary atoning work in our, Jesus dying in our place on the cross. Accomplishing His cross work that we might be united to Him, reconciled, justified by His righteousness so that Christ's righteousness becomes our own because we had none and His becomes ours. Here at Bethany, we don't make water baptism a requirement of enjoying this supper together. It's a meal, though, for all who have repented of sin, turned to Jesus Christ as Lord. If this describes you, you are welcome to partake with us. But if not, know also you are welcome in these walls. You're welcome in the worship time with us. And we would love for you to know the Savior. To know personally the Savior. Even there in your seat, you can cry out to Jesus. Say, Lord, save me. i got sin. I want to die to my sin. Live to you. Lord, save me. But if that's not you, we're going to ask you just let the plate plate pass by today and uh, examine yourself. So before we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, it is good, Paul tells us to examine ourselves and look inside before we celebrate this. I'm going to ask us to do that just quietly. Uh, Don't let it be awkward silence. Just take time. Maybe this is the only time in your week where you're able to just sit still enough to speak with your Lord. Maybe there's a scripture you want to look up or maybe you just meditate on what it meant for Christ for our trespasses to be nailed to the cross, for Him to take those on and to look at your own life and examine, am I living out what I proclaimed in my baptism or or am I living out my life for Christ? And so examine yourselves and where you fall short, praise God, we have an advocate who is before the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Call on Him for forgiveness. And then in a little bit, 
um, we'll celebrate communion. So let's just quiet ourselves before the Lord before we celebrate it here.